So I knew when I was going to be preaching this morning on Evan Almighty that I would have to do the least amount of explanation. Have you seen it? How many hands? Okay. How many of you know what it's about? Okay. It's a modern day retelling of Noah's Ark. That's really all you need to know. There's really not a lot of complexity to the plot. I don't have to tell you on the screen today with a list of characters and, and sort of pie charts and flow charts and how everything links together. We've got movies like that coming up in a few weeks when, you know, you really will have to follow along because it gets a little bit more complex. Today's movie is not. And the filmmaker who made it is a guy named Tom Shadiak. I think that's the way you pronounce his, uh, his last name. And it's very much a production of his. Any of you have seen Liar, Liar or Bruce Almighty, the one that preceded this? It follows exactly the same plot. It goes like this. The central character is a man, a fairly powerful one, who's not a complete, but let's say a moderate jerk. Very self-absorbed, very into himself, very much in his self-contained kind of world, a little bubble. And while he's not mean or he's not cruel, he's not going to go out of his way to really help anyone else besides himself if it's not going to advance his own interests. And this is the story of Tom Shadiac's movies, the supernatural magically breaks in. The jerk opens his mind for the first time. The jerk opens his heart, comes to love what he has, comes to let go of what he must let go of, so he can become what he is supposed to be. That's the entire plot of the movie. And in the future, if you see a Tom Shadiac movie, I can tell you that's probably going to be the plot as well, too. It works, he makes hundreds of millions of dollars, there's no reason to discard what's working for him. <laughs> so the main character, the Noah guy, in this movie is a guy named Evan Baxter. And he's just been elected to Congress on the great slogan, change the world. Together, we're going to change the world. Now, Evan Baxter has no intention whatsoever of changing the world. He is an anchor on an affiliate in Buffalo, New York. And he wants to get a buffalo for maybe some reasons that, if you saw Bruce Almighty, you understand, but we're not going to go into right now. Again, he's not a bad guy, but he's just sort of small. He's myopic. He doesn't have a grand vision, doesn't have a large vision. He's there because he wants power, and he's there because he wants prestige, and he's in Washington because, you know, it's the place to be if you want to be known. But then all of a sudden, he starts to get these odd messages. And one of the ones that I think was sort of neat was Genesis chapter 6, verse 14 is the one that says, build the ark, because the flood's coming. And so he wakes up one morning, his first day in Washington, and he wanted to get up at 7 a.m., but the alarm wakes him up at 6.14. And it's a general electric alarm, but it's all been whited out except for the G-E-N part. So he wakes up that first day to G-E-N 6.14. And every day thereafter, even if he tries to wake up at 7.30, even if he tries to wake up at 8, every single day, Gen 6.14. And then something very strange happened as well. This wood starts showing up on his front door in big, huge pallets, one after another after another. He tries to give it away, but no one will take it, and it just keeps coming and coming and coming and accumulating. Now, Evan Almighty really softens the Noah story, I've got to tell you. It is not, let's say in Scripture, God's finest hour. I'm sending a flood. Everyone's going to be wiped out, except for you. Save two of every kind. Forget about everyone else. It is the God of wrath. This God, not so much. In the end, I don't want to give too much of it away, but in the end, what happens is that really it's human's fault that the flood is coming. And Morgan Freeman, you know, he's just so kindly. 
He's too nice to have too much wrath. And I do have to say, though, I, I had a little trouble watching Morgan Freeman, not because he didn't do a good God, he does a great God, but he's sort of displacing in the popular imagination George Burns, which, if you want to know a minor piece of trivia about my life, I'm a blood relative of George Burns. And those of you who remember Oh God and Oh God Book 2, and I think they actually made an Oh God Book 3, which was just god-awful. But he was the prior famous, you know, it's a payday. You're 90-something years old, you want to keep the money coming in, you're going to show up and get filmed. Morgan Freeman does an excellent God, and not a wrathful one at all. And again, the flood, it turns out to be humanity's fault. And it turns out there's a nice little acronym in there that ARC stands for Acts of Random Kindness. Acts of Random Kindness. But actually, that doesn't fall at all, because actually what God has asked the Noah character to do, has asked Evan to do, isn't a random act of kindness at all. It is an absolute, sometimes for him, life-altering, life-changing call. But still, let's not get that, let that get in the way of a nice message at the end, which is that ARC stands for Acts of Random Kindness, even if it doesn't make any sense. But there's two points in this movie that I really, really liked. The first is that Evan is, before he accepts the call, he is whining whining to God. He's now understood that this character keeps showing up unannounced in the back of his car, keeps sending these horde of animals to follow him wherever he go, and there's a joke about constantly bird poop on his lapel. You know, that's the repeat joke that we see throughout the movie. Evan is whining, 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 whining. This wasn't in my plans. This wasn't in my plans. I didn't expect this. I didn't want this. And what does God do? He just bursts out laughing, and they leave the joke at that. You know that old phrase? You want to make God laugh, tell God your plans. And I left that because there are a lot of very obvious jokes in the movie and they didn't explain that one. They just left that one in there. I thought, okay, just a little bit of subtlety in this movie was pretty nice. And there was one other thing I really like as well in this movie. Evan has a sort of mantra, a sort of new age, I'm okay, you're okay, everything's going to be cool kind of mantra that he says whenever anything starts to go wrong. He says, I'm talented, smart, handsome, happy. The flock of birds, the flock of seagulls, the lions, the alligators, everything starts to fall him down K Street, down towards Congress. I'm talented, smart, handsome, happy. I'm talented, smart, handsome, happy. But you know what? It doesn't make the problems go away. And actually, the reverse is this. Is that in the act of becoming who he really needs to be, because this is a great thing in the movie, God takes Evan seriously. He says, we're going to change the world. Morgan Freeman says, okay. I see you one, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that. But in the meantime, what happens in his outward changes and in his inward changes, he is not, at least as the world would judge him, happy or handsome or even smart. He appears the fool, and if you've seen any of the ads, he grows this big Moses-like mane, bush of hair, and actually has to wear like this sort of ancient cloth in exchange for his three-piece suits. He is not as we would judge it, handsome, happy, beautiful, talented, all those kinds of words. But he will be. He will be eventually, just not in the way he expects. Really what Evan Almighty brings up, and what I want to talk about this morning, is the notion of call. Of being called to a purpose that transforms our lives, that is greater than just our own individual lives, and lifts us up into a story that makes our lives complete even if we can't, and even as we won't understand that at the beginning. Kathleen Norris, who is one of my favorite spiritual writers and spiritual teachers, she says that the tragedy of our time for so many people is what she calls the tragedy of the uncalled life. That there is nothing other than just 
accumulating and gathering and living from one promotion or one thing to another to another, that there's the uncalled life. And those things on their own that I just named are not bad things. But she calls the uncalled life when they don't add up to a larger whole. They don't add up to something that really matters, that we know when our days are done, we have handed on something of wonderful, beautiful value. And Noah is the first call story in the scripture. We know that Noah is a very imperfect person, a very imperfect man. And so I thought this would be a good time to tell you, me also, a very imperfect person, a very imperfect man, tell you the story of my call to ministry. It happened 14 years ago, not quite to the day, but almost. I was on vacation in Cape Cod, a family place that we had for a number of years, and I was between years one and years two of my Master of Arts at Yale Divinity School, and i got to tell you, going to graduate school for one year is no solution to finding out what you want to do with your life. None at all. I didn't really plan it would be. Actually, I checked things off. I didn't know I didn't really want to stay on and go get a Ph.D., and I had already served that summer a little bit earlier on as a clerk in a law firm, and I didn't really like that so much either. So what was I left with? Not much, or not much that I knew of. And I refer to this as my Unitarian Universalist baptism, because it wasn't full immersion. I was actually in the shower, so the water just kind of hit me and rolled off. But there I was in the shower one morning saying, honestly, what the hell am I going to do with my life? I got one more year of hiding out in div school. Where is this going to take me? And then it came to me. You will be a Unitarian Universalist minister. What? That's what I... I didn't hear it. I wasn't auditorily hearing things. But as clear as my breathing was, as clear as I was standing in that shower, I felt and knew that I would be a Unitarian Universalist minister. Now, this was somewhat odd because I'd only stepped in a UU church twice in my life. Once when I was 10 for my older sister's wedding, and once when I was 18 and home from Thanksgiving break from college, and my mom said literally, well, this isn't too bad a word, get your ass off that, off up that couch and go and serve at that soup kitchen, that Unitarian church down at the corner because I don't want you laying around here anymore being lazy. This is the only two times I've ever been in a Unitarian church. And so I received this message as, huh, that doesn't make sense. I knew of Unitarian Universalism. I'd studied it academically. I knew I was drawn to it. I knew I was waiting at some point for something to go into one of our congregations. But I have to tell you, from that day, even as I did not understand it, did not understand it, and also in the 14 years since have many times wondered, should I be doing this work? At my worst, I wondered, could I? Did I have the capacity to do this work? I have never once wavered in my conviction that I wanted to do this work. That's what a call is like. It seizes us, almost in spite of ourselves. In the ancient scriptures, there's a Hebrew word for it, the response to the call. The Hebrew is, Hineni. Hineni. Here I am. Say it with me. Here I am. Here I am. That's the response of the ancient prophets. And I felt like that day in the shower, I said, okay, here I am. Naked as the day I was born. Here I am. And this is the one thing about the call that you need to know if you're ever going to find yourself seized by one. I hope you have, because I'm not just talking about a call to be a religious professional. I'm talking about a call to be in a relationship. 
I'm talking about a call to take a risk to maybe take a new job or you know, lift up your stakes and move to another part of the country or the kind of call that comes in an inward sense when you say, you know what, my life is just not working out in the way that I wish it would and I need to make some changes. I need to come to a religious community. I need to start a spiritual practice. I need to deepen my life path. This is the good news about a call. Perfect people cannot apply for it. Perfect people can't hear a call because they believe and I don't believe there are any of these perfect people out there, but perfect people can't receive a call because they believe they have already all that they need to possess. What's necessary for us to realize a call on our lives and a call from within our lives is this and only this first, willingness. Willingness is the first necessary thing that we have to realize. It's finally what Evan Baxter, as selfish as he is, comes to realize about his life. Remember his mantra? He thinks that that will make his life handsome, perfect, talented all of a sudden. Words are not magic, but willingness is magic. About a year and a half, over a year and a half ago now, maybe 21 months ago, I went to a born-again church. That's where my call has taken me. Willie Sutton said, when he's asked, well, why do you you rob banks? That's where the money is. Well, a lot of these born-again churches around here and throughout the nation, well, they know how to build large, thriving, healthy communities. I don't agree with their theology, but in areas like this one. Excuse me, there's a fly buzzing around my head. Uh, it must be all the hot air. Um, but I remember seeing at that service a little drama that they did that we'll probably do our own version of. Changed a little bit, but we'll do our own version of. And it was the Lord's Prayer. It was a woman sitting down to pray the Lord's Prayer because she really had the idea that the Lord's Prayer words were magic. That if she just said them as quickly as she could, like literally she's like, okay, almost like the, time, the stopwatch is going. Let me sit down, say the words they can get on with my life. And then, booming, comes the voice of God into, into her Lord's Prayer. And the needling voice comes. She cannot let go. I mean, the Lord's Prayer talks about forgiveness. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And the needling voice of conscience, or the inner spark of the divine, comes And she recognizes she is completely ticked off at her next-door neighbor. On the outside, one of her best friends. But she has been ticked off about something that happened years ago. And the voice of the divine says inside of her, Nah, you can't pass this word. You can't pass this line until you actually wrestle with the forgiveness. Until you actually have the willingness to listen to the call that this prayer speaks of. Words are not magic. But willingness is. Emerson, within our tradition, said this. He said, faith makes us, we don't make it. It is the willingness that matters above all else. Because where we go from here, when you receive a call, you will not know when it will take you or where it will take you. Perhaps you're sitting here today on the cusp of one of these things, thinking about a major life change, a big change, and you're thinking, what will be the tipping point that will take me over? Perhaps you're waiting for a message and perhaps you will receive it, but I think already you possess the message inside you. It is your willingness that will unlock the key to living out the call within your life. I love the answer to this that I heard just from a colleague at General Assembly just last week, our annual gathering of Unitarian Universalists. It was in Portland, Oregon last week. He told me the name of a book, and I think it's perfect. It's called The Answer to How is Yes. The answer to how is yes. Think about that for a second. 
how often we start out at the outset of something that we don't know how to do. And if you're like me, I want to retreat for a little while. It's that fight, flight, freeze. I can either, you know, a little bit of that freeze thing. I was reading uh, actually a secular book on leadership the other day, and they had a great phrase about fear, about responding to the call, especially for leaders. And they talked about what they called fearing falling into the incompetence gap. That leadership, as many of you know, in this day and age is all about learning new things over and over and over again. And sometimes that fear, how? How do we do it? How do you do it? How do I do it? The fear is that we'll tumble into that incompetence gap and we will be revealed as a person who does not know how. And what that fear will do is it will stop our feet even before we head out into the world and into the call, out into that new thing. And so the first thing you need to say is what? Yes. Let me hear you say it. Yes. Again, yes. The answer to how is yes. The next time you find yourself in one of those kinds of situations and you're saying, you know what, I am deathly afraid of being revealed as the fool, as the fool, think of Evan Baxter. You can never appear as foolish as he is. Don't fear that incompetence gap. You can fill it with your willingness. It starts with the ability to say yes. And so perhaps you're thinking this, okay, this sounds good, Ken. People really do get called and it changes our lives and it means something. It really does mean something to give up what we know in order that we might become that which we dream to be and hope to be. But how does that apply to you? not an ordained minister? How does that apply to all of us in our daily lives? I'm going to tell you right now the best call story I've ever heard. It has nothing to do with religious community, although it came from the mouth of a man who took his spirituality very seriously. I call him the saint of Auto Row. A number of years ago, I was doing the wedding of my best friend, And the night before the wedding, a bunch of us gathered down in the hotel lounge and bar area, and we were telling stories until late in the evening. And after a while, it was just myself and this one other gentleman. He was my best friend's bride's uncle, and really sort of the stand-in father figure. He would be, quote-unquote, giving her away. He wanted her, she wanted him to give her away the next day. And he was really curious about my spiritual path, and so he asked me about my call story, and I told him the shower scene. He said, well, I've got a call story for you. And here it is. It turns out this fellow was one of the, is still one of the most profitable, most successful auto dealers, I think in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And for many years he built his business. He was known for giving people a fair deal, a relatively square deal, and he owned about five or six different dealerships. But there came a time in his life where he really started to reflect on the path that he was on. And he knew, he knew that as ethical as he tried to make it, the car dealership would never conform to the business practice that he wanted. And so he did one thing to begin. He went out and he got a Saturn dealership. And for any of you who know what a Saturn is, I try not to make this ad for a Saturn dealership, but i got to tell this part of the story. At a Saturn, there's no haggling. What you pay is what's posted. And he was so wonderfully awed by this model of doing business that what he said is my other six dealers... I'm going to turn all of them into this model. And you know what he faced? An absolute rebellion from all of the salespeople. They said, how are we going to make our money? 
If the price is already established, how are we going to live? They said, no, if you do this, I'll leave. But he sat down with each of them, day after day, month after month, and he said, listen, we can do this. And we will be known as the auto dealership of all the cars that we sell in which everyone can walk in regardless of what they know about buying a car, regardless if they read their consumer reports or not, regardless of whether they walk in and they think the sharks are going to be sniffing blood and on them in a second. He said, we can do this and we will be known for this and we will all stay in business together. And it took over a couple years, but he did it. Every one of his car dealerships practices this ethical way of doing business that's squared with his vision, with his call of how they could do that. Now, before he sat down and started talking with his salespeople, he had no idea how they'd react. He had no idea whether this was the most crazy thing he'd ever heard of because no one had ever done it before. But he followed his call. He answered yes first to a vision. In the most secular way we can imagine it, car dealerships, a place where you might think there is no spirit, he brought that into that place. He answered yes, and first he was willing, and then other people came along, and then they figured out how they would do it together. Kind of reminds me of what we're doing here, trying to do here at Wellsprings. He really exemplifies, I think, what is our seventh core value. Our seventh core value that we call living with integrity. It talks about honestly evaluating where we are in the hopes of courageously going where we're called to be. I'll repeat that. Living with integrity. Honestly evaluating where we are in the courageous hope that we can go where we're called to be. That's just not a skill for here at Wellsprings. That's not a value for just us here alone. It's a value for all of our lives. And it starts with willingness. It starts with that ability to say, where am I? Where are you? And the answer must start, here I am. Here I am. Not wondering what if, what if, what if, as wonderful as those dreams are, but first, what is? What is right now? What is the situation of our lives? What is the situation of your life? I love the way the writer Annie Dillard put it when she was talking about the call of spiritual community, helping us become, each of us, the people who we yearn to be. She says it, and some of you know this reading before. When people come to church, we're handing them orders of service with a smile, when really we should be giving them hard hats and life preservers, because a church should be a dangerous place, a zone of risk, a place of new life and new birth, and new hope, where we confront ourselves with who we truly want to be and who the community is calling each of us to become. So this is my question for you this morning. Summertime is for many of us a time of reflection. Don't waste it. Summertime is for many of us an opportunity to do some new things. And so I will ask you this. Where is your call? Do you know where you are? And in what places in your life are you experiencing just the edges of this willingness to grow into who you want to become? Maybe it's that one conversation that you know you need to have with the most important person in your life that you've just been putting off and putting off and putting off simply because you don't know how the how 
the conversation is going to turn out. Maybe it's that one risk in your professional life that you wanted to take, but again, you're so afraid of falling into that incompetence gap. Maybe it's that chance that you've been yearning for years to say, you know what, I really do want, want to learn how every day to pray, how every day to take time to feed my spirit. But you're saying, what if I sit and I don't experience anything? And that would be worse than living life as crazy as it is. But first, you know what it starts with. The answer to how is yes. It starts with your willingness. So here we are. And there you are. Here we are together. There is no one here but us. These are the hands that God, the universe, the Spirit has. There are no other hands but these. And so together, let us say, I am here. I am here. Send me. Send me. Amen. May you live in blessing.